invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, as we're making our way through this wonderful letter where Paul is laying out just the wonder of the gospel and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, made us alive in Christ, and, uh, and called us to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. This is a letter specifically about the church and for the church. And Paul is going to now, in verses 17 and following, uh, call the church to a new way of life as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 17 through 24. I'd like to read through uh, the end of the chapter, just so we get a little better sense of what Paul is doing here. Let's begin with verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ." Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh, Father, we thank you for this precious gift of the word of God, divinely inspired, incredibly practical, profoundly necessary. And Lord, I pray that now the Spirit that gave this word and inspired these words, Lord, would be the Spirit who would open our eyes to see it and hearts to receive it. May our mind be renewed by this truth. As Jesus, you show us again what it means to know you and to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is The Christian Life. The Christian Life. I remember a conversation I once had with a young man who uh, had grown up in a good Reformed church, and, uh, but had since moved away from home. And we were talking together about another uh, teenage, uh, teenager whom we both knew, who, as far as we could tell, uh, wanted nothing to do with the Christian faith or the Christian life. And uh, this young man I was talking to said this, he says, I totally understand why they're not interested. I think it would help so much if, if they could have seen someone's life being truly changed. In other words, it would be so much easier for this teenager to believe the gospel was true and to desire it for himself if he he had seen that it was actually transforming the lives of those who professed it. And I had two thoughts about that statement. On the one hand, I thought that is absolutely 
true. Uh, One of the greatest evidences for the truth of the gospel is the transformed lives of those who profess to believe it. Right? Jesus says this is how the world will know, right? If you love one another. And so when the church fails to live according to its profession, we shouldn't be surprised when the world around us and maybe even our young, some of our young people, right, scoff at the religion that we profess. And so that was my first thought. It's absolutely true that, that uh, it's, it's necessary for the church to be able to give evidence uh, to the world uh, and to our own young people, uh, to our children, uh, that the gospel is actually has a transformative power. It actually does change us. On the other hand, uh, it just occurred to me that transformation is actually a long process. Uh, we shouldn't be quick to judge that it isn't working when, when it takes a while. It'd be like planting, uh, boys and girls, if you uh, plant a garden this spring and you put some seeds in the ground uh, on Wednesday and then on Thursday you go back and you say, it's not working. I don't see anything. I don't, it says tomatoes right on the package, and there's nothing to be seen. It's a process. It takes a while. We need to be patient for the fruit. As John Newton um, just well said, he says, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul's appeal here in these verses is simply that, that we live according to who we are by the grace of God, that we're called to intentionally pursue a certain pattern of life because of who we are in Christ. We need to live lives according to the gospel. And so last week uh, when we were uh, earlier in the chapter here, verse 13, we saw that there is a thing called the Christian faith, an, an objective deposit of biblical truth concerning the reality of God, and the reality of Christ, the reality, the reality of our need, the faith, and we need to adhere to the faith. But here we see that there's also a thing called the Christian life. There is a, a pattern of behavior that must flow from our profession. And Paul's going to spend a good bit of time now in this letter, beginning with our verse here, 417, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, Paul is going to go into detail about what that Christian life looks like, the way that is taken up by those who profess to believe in Jesus. And he begins this morning with an urgent command concerning the believer's calling. And that's our first point, the believer's calling. Verse 17, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It's a verse that we could easily pass by, but Paul wants us to to get it. In a sense, he's he's saying, pay attention here because um, I say this and I testify in the Lord. The NIV has, um, I, uh, I insist upon this in Jesus. So this isn't just Paul speaking, it's Paul speaking moved by the Spirit of Christ. And so so I'm going to tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You can't walk like the Gentiles walk. right? He's speaking very strongly here. The blood-bought children of God cannot live like the enemies of God. 
Those who've been miraculously restored to life in Jesus Christ by the Spirit, rescued from bondage to death and and bondage to sin, you can't live willingly as though you're, you're still in the same bondage. You've been set free. So you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's he's insisting on it. Now remember, he's writing to Gentiles, isn't he? He's writing to Gentile believers in Ephesus and in in Asia Minor in general. But he wants them to understand that by the miracle of God's grace, they're not Gentiles in truth any longer. Something has happened. They've been, in a sense, removed from the Gentile world, and uh, they are no longer spiritually Gentiles. They're spiritually children of Abraham children of God. That's that's what happened when they were converted. They're now a new humanity. He's been talking about that. This new people created in Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the place where God dwells. And so consequently, given their new status and identity, they can no longer walk as they formerly had, as the Gentiles still do. Paul just wants us to to sense that there's something deeply, inherently wrong with a worldly church. There's, there's, there's something just deeply, profoundly not right. Um, there's a violation in some sense when there's a church or a Christian that willingly walks in sin willingly violating the sovereign grace and mercy and love that that he has received and that has rescued him. Paul isn't denying that Christians sin. Of course we we do sin. And and we sin in sad and sickening ways. But, But a Christian cannot happily, easily continue to walk in sin. They maybe can do that for a short period of time, but, but, but you cannot happily, willingly, continually walk like the Gentiles do and call yourself a Christian. You see, God's, God's blood-bought children cannot live like those who do not know God. I, I remember a conversation I once had with a professing Christian who had left his wife, left his family uh, because of an affair, and the, the, the saddest and scariest part of the conversation was not that the affair had happened. Completely understood how that could be. The, the sad and scary part was that he could not feel any remorse for it, which he freely admitted. He delighted in something that God hates and intended to continue pursuing it. That's a scary place to be. Now, now why is that so awful? Why shouldn't we walk like the Gentiles do? Well, first of all, because of what the Gentile life involves, and then secondly, because of who we are in Jesus. Paul begins here now, and this is our second point, by highlighting what, what is it, how do the Gentiles walk? What motivates the world around us? Notice verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now, as we start, we just need to be clear, Paul's not picking on lost people. He's not belittling lost people. He's not just saying mean things about them. What, what, 
What he's doing is describing all of mankind outside of Jesus Christ, including, right, you and me outside of Jesus Christ. This is what being lost looks like. This is what Jesus rescues sinners from. This is why the gospel is so wonderful. This is why we and our neighbors need it. But Paul wants us to understand the truth about the Gentile life, the truth about the lost life. It's characterized by a futility of the mind. People who are lost can't think clearly, at least not when it comes to spiritual things. So Paul will say they're darkened in their understanding. In, in biblical terms, the, the, the mind is the eye of the soul. And so just like we use our physical eyes to navigate in, in a material world, the mind is the, the eye of the soul that allows us to navigate in the the, the truths, the realities of the spiritual world. That w- that's what the mind was created to do, to receive the light of truth and to, be, to, be, uh, to guide the soul then in, in the ways of life. That's how God made us. But, but sin has blinded the eye of the soul so that spiritual truth is no longer perceived. So Paul will say in 1 Corinthians that the unspiritual man cannot understand the things of God. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone where you were trying to explain the gospel to them and it was clear it just wasn't, it just didn't make sense to them. It, was, it seemed foolishness to them. You know, when you, you, when you say, well, Jesus died for you, and they'll say, well, I didn't ask him to do that. Um, well, but, but he paid for your sin. Well, you're talking about me like I'm a bad person. It just, it, it doesn't make sense, you see. The, that's just a spiritual blindness. I remember someone wisely telling me, don't beat up on blind people. Uh, when, they, when they can't see spiritual truth, they can't see spiritual truth. Recognize what's going on. And so, and so we live in a world full of people, right, who don't understand the, the truths about God. The, they don't, the reality of God's not clear to them. Though it is manifested, the Bible says, in everything that God has made. Uh, people don't understand the nature of their sin. They'll be offended when you suggest that they are in need of someone to die in their place as though they were that bad. You see, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And then they don't understand the gospel, no matter how clearly you might explain it. And, and at the core of it, Jesus doesn't seem then appealing. He might be seen mildly interesting, but not desirable, not, there's not a hunger to know him. And brothers and sisters, we've got to recognize that there are people who are born and raised in the church for whom this is true. Uh, people who are born and raised in the church, maybe you're sitting here this morning and this is you. It, it's, you, you know the doctrines, you've heard the stories, but you remain in spiritual blindness. It it doesn't really resonate. It doesn't sink home. You, you couldn't say that there's a, a grief about your sin. You acknowledge the sin, but, but you, you like it, or you're willing to live with it. it. It just hasn't, the awfulness of it hasn't gripped you, and, and in truth, there's, there's not a desire for Christ. Well, that's a spiritual blindness. The consequence of that blindness, Paul says, is alienation from the life of God. That is a death sentence. 
alienation from the life of God. That means there's this vast chasm between the lost person and, and God and the life that God gives. And so, and so the, there's, there's no sense then, um, there's no communion between this lost person and God. The natural man, you see, just he's not concerned about not knowing God. He might vaguely believe there is one, but there's, there's no, nothing in him that, that says, I need to know that God. I want to I commune with that God. And so he lacks the life and the peace that comes from God. The natural woman goes about her day-to-day life with no sense that this is supposed to be for the glory of God. There's no delight in the purposes of God, no care for the promises of God, no concern for the judgment of God, just completely dead to it all, clueless to it. it we sort of see this as, a, as just normal. Why? We, we watch our unconverted friends and, and, and neighbors live their life, and it, it just strikes us as normal. It's profoundly abnormal. That people made in God's image, living in God's world, um, receiving every day multiplied gifts of God's kindness with no sense of or concern for God. Well, how does that happen? How does that blindness happen? Paul says it happens because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. That's, a, that's quite a saying. If Paul's not saying that, that lost people are ignorant in general. They can be incredibly bright. Very educated on all sorts of things, but, but there's an ignorance concerning spiritual things. And that ignorance is there, Paul says, because there's a hardness of heart. In other words, the reason they don't know these things is because they don't want to know these things. Now, this is a description of lost people, including you and, me, you and myself, when we were in our sin. There's the, this is the, the desperate condition of the human heart. There's, a, there's an aversion to reality. We don't want to know the truth. Paul will say that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Right? So everyone is born, the Bible says, with a sense of eternity in their heart. They know there's got to be something more. Everyone is born with the law of God written on their heart. You don't have to, why does a little child hide, right, when they do something naughty? It's not because you carefully catechize them. Now, honey, when you write on the wall, uh, when you do whatever, then you need to go hide. You know, that's wrong. You don't need to tell them that. They know it's wrong. How How in the world do they know it's wrong? Law of God's written right on their little heart. It's there. People live in a world, as I said, where the the reality of God is is being shouted, right? Day and night by creation. But see, what happens in our sinful nature is that we suppress that truth. We reject that truth. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and therefore we sink into an ever-deepening spiritual darkness because we like it that way. That's the sinful heart. That's the devastating reality. And that has consequences then for real life. Notice what Paul says in verse 19. They have become callous, having given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's a callousness so that maybe that young child that was uh, originally sensitive to the truth and, and sensitive to the things of God, by the time you know, that child's in their early 20s, they're callous to it. Maybe it happens before that. 
There's no, there's no desire for it. They're not guided by it. And, and, and so the natural person, what they will do then, Paul says, is they will come to rely instead on of the truth, they will rely on their desires, their feelings, particularly their sexual desires and feelings. That's the, the nature of sensuality. It, but they're people driven by their senses, what they feel, what they desire. And that continues to increase. There's a greed for impurity, a, a, a lusting for what is debased and perverted. And as, as I just read that, I thought, what a devastating, accurate portrayal of our culture. I mean, isn't this exactly what we're seeing happen? We're, we live in a society that is defined by this kind of ignorance, a willful ignorance, where we, we've come to the place where the nominee for the highest court in our land cannot, or more truthfully, will not, Define what a woman is. And people applaud. So we live in a society that refuses. You say, this isn't just, I don't know. You're asking me such hard questions. That's not what's going on. We live in a society where people refuse to accept the most basic reality of humanity that God made us male and female. And, and we see that the, the push towards homosexuality and transgenderism, those things being exalted as the epitome of human freedom. Well, friends, what you're seeing is Romans 1 playing out. If you just haven't read Romans 1, verse 18 and following recently, it's the best commentary on our society you're going to see. Where people refuse the truth of God, they suppress the truth of God, and so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Nothing that's happening in our society should be a surprise to us or a shock to us. This is what lostness looks like. It's what lostness does. But, but, Paul draws this sharp line of distinction between how the world lives and how the church is to live. But, and that line is defined by nothing less than the reality of Jesus Christ. So he'll say, that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, there's a new way for God's people. What, what I love about Paul's statement there, that is not the way you learned Christ, is, is Paul could have said something else. He could have said, that's not how I taught you, or he could have said, that's not what the law says. You see how these Gentiles are living? You see the perversion of it? Remember the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what it says. And that relates to all the sexual sin and perversion you see going on in the Gentile world. Listen to the commandment. It's not what he does. And the reason he doesn't do that is because, you see, the Christian life is not founded on thou shalt not. The Christian life is founded on what Christ has done. It's a different foundation. The Christian life is not defined by the commandments. It's defined by the accomplishments of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf when we were dead in our sin. And so Paul, in his eagerness, you see, to impress upon us the importance and necessity of living a Christian life, he starts by pointing to Jesus who is our life. This is not the way you learned Christ. 
There's a, such an important insight there that the Christian life, you see, is not just about believing in Jesus. It's about learning from Jesus, receiving the truth of Jesus, being fed by the word of Christ, being led by the spirit of Christ. One of the most common mistakes that people make, both in the church and outside of the church, one of the most common mistakes is to try to live the Christian life without Jesus in the middle of it. And so they know the, they know the rules, they know the laws, they know sort of the, the, the patterns of behavior that Christians hold up as good things, and so they try to do those things. And, and you can fake that for a while. You can show up in church and be all nicely dressed up, and um, you can kind of keep it together. On the outside, you can do that. You can do that for years. But the little secret is that underneath that veneer is a a world of of sin and anger and lust and and despair and self-righteousness that's never getting addressed. And no deep transformation is taking place. If, If you're wondering this morning why the Christian life doesn't seem to be working for you, why your life is, is filled with anxiety and despair and sin and, and, and you feel hopeless, helpless. Well, I would just encourage you this morning to examine your, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Just be willing to consider what, what if there's something more. I, I know men personally who were in, their, in the church for years, were elders and deacons in the church, and they were not converted until suddenly the lights went on. And, and suddenly they realized that, that this is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, do you have that? Do you actually have that? You see, don't move forward until you've, you've, you've come to terms with that. There's been nothing more frustrating in your life than trying to live the Christian life without Jesus in the middle of it. Paul says in verse 21, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, has that happened to you? Well, what did we learn in Jesus? What, what is the truth in Jesus that Paul's referring to here? And, and we'll move forward. Verse 22 through 24, uh, to put off your old self, the, the, the actual Greek word there is man, put off the old man, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new man created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you're doing a Bible study and you uh, wanted to outline that, it looks like Paul is telling us to do three things. It looks like he's saying, uh, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. And I have to admit, when I first just read this text, I thought, man, I'm looking for three points. Nice. But when I was studying it, I realized that that's not what he's doing. These are not three commands. The Greek uh, verbs, they're infinitives, not imperatives. In other words, these are not commands about what we need to do. They are reminders about what has already happened if you're a Christian. The old man has already been put off in Jesus Christ. The new man has already been put on when you became a Christian. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, past tense. 
So when you were, when you were converted, when you were born again, this had happened to you. And you are being renewed already. So Colossians 3, verse 9 says, Don't lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Being renewed, an ongoing activity, but passive. We're receiving this renewal work. So, so if you ask, well, what does Paul want me to do? Paul would say, what I want you to do is remember who you are. Remember what, what the miracle that's happened to you. You're, you're not just slogging this thing out on, in your strength. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is where God himself sovereignly gets a hold of you. And, 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 and uh, through Jesus Christ actually raises you from the dead and fills you with his Holy Spirit so that you are done with the old and you are in the new and you're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So God is now at work renewing you through your mind as you understand more and more who he is, as you, as you, as you grow in your knowledge of who God is and, and your knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ for you and your knowledge of all that God has purposed for you, Paul says, remember that. Because that, you see, is going to motivate you to embrace these things, to lay hold of these things. Then when you get to verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. When you get to verse 25, you're ready for it. You want to hear about this new walk. You want to hear about the things that you can begin to uh, intentionally put aside and the things that you can intentionally begin to lay hold of. You see, friend, how did you learn Christ? Some of you maybe learned Christ um, as, you know, the way of transformation is just, you got to really work hard. It's just effort. And so you, you need to read your Bible more and you need to pray more. You have to study more and you have to behave. You just got to stop sinning so much, right? Let me ask you, if that's how you learned Jesus, how's that working? It, that's a hard, hard road to walk. And, and maybe that's where you are this morning. You're still stuck in your sin and you're, you're, you're without peace and you're without hope. The law is just pounding on you, judging you, condemning you. Well, Paul says, that's, that's not the way. How did you learn Christ? Well, the, the way Paul taught Christ was that, that Jesus is to be received and, and the truth about him is to be learned, uh, that, that the Christian life is not fundamentally about do better, but by trust, trust. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, is that true of you this morning? Have you been taught as the truth is in Jesus? Have you received, friend, the truth about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Received it. Not just heard it, not just intellectually assented to it. Have you received that truth for you, the sinner? Not just you, the wounded person, you, the, the, the person who wants to reach their full potential, you, the sinner, have you received Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on a cross, dying for your filth, 
your wickedness, your perversion? Have you grasped the glory of what God has freely and graciously done for you in Jesus so that you know Jesus and there is a desire in your heart for Jesus? Do you have a meaningful relationship with Christ? That is a question we do not ask enough in our churches. Do you have a meaningful relationship with Christ? Is his truth penetrating your mind so you're starting to see things differently and desire things differently? You see, Paul will contrast the, the, the Gentile mind and the Christian mind. One is futile, one is fertile. Remember the story of the parable of the, uh, the sower where Jesus tells this story about a farmer who goes out with seed and, he, and he's casting the seed and some of the seed fall, falls on the, on the path. The seed, of course, is the word of God. And the, the, the seed that falls on the path, well, the birds come and they just eat it, they take it away. Well, that's the devil. And so there will be people who hear a message, the word, and just falls on a hard heart and the devil says, you don't want, you don't want that. And they're done with it. And some of it falls on rocky ground, and, and uh, the seed there will begin to grow. But, but as soon as the hardships come, as soon as there's some uh, persecution, or maybe not even persecution, it just gets difficult, right? The, the kids got sports, and I enjoy this particular habit that would have to, I'd have to let go. Um, and, and so that seed springs up, but, but the cares of this world make it just wilt, and it dies away. And then there's fertile soil. The, the, the farmer throws the seed and that, and that seed sinks roots down and it begins to grow up and it matures and it bears fruit for the glory of God. And right after that parable, Jesus says to his disciples, be very careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Because every person in that parable heard. One heard, wanted nothing to do with it. Another heard, didn't really take it in. Oh, they did for a while, but then eh, there's too much going on. And then the other person heard, received, grew, and bore fruit. Be careful how you hear. You see, how you hear the truth makes all the difference. It's not enough to sit in church and, and listen to a sermon. Is the gospel being received? Is your heart open to it? Is is there a, a spiritual insight that you're gaining, a spiritual grasp that, that's bringing renewal to your mind so that you start to think about your life differently? You think about your money differently. You think about your, sexual, your sexuality uh, differently. You think about uh, your entertainment differently. You think about your marriage or, or your relationships differently. You're thinking about how you're going to raise your kids differently. And what life is about and what it's for, it's, it's all starting to, to, to become more clear. That's the Christian life. As you receive the truth of God and that truth sinks down into your heart, you receive it like good soil and it, 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 it sinks down roots and begins to bear fruit and it's changing the way you think. Friends, that's essential to living the Christian life. Paul, as I said, in verse 25, he's going to start talking for several chapters about, about what the Christian life looks like in very specific detail. It looks like how you think how you speak and, and how you treat your wife or your husband and, and boys and girls, what you, how you deal with mom and dad. It's very practical. But if, if we don't get this first principle down, that's just going to look like rules and it's just going to sound oppressive. It's just going to be dry. There's going to be nothing in there that excites you. And so we, we have to get this principle down. We have to start by learning Jesus. 
And once we do, you see, once we, once we receive what God has done for us freely in Jesus Christ, then we'll gladly hear the commands to put away falsehood because we're getting so sick and tired of our falsehood. And we grieve uh, our anger and our malice and our slander. And we hate how greedy and, and covetous we are and, and how the, the lack of generosity is just breaking our heart because we know there's more and, and Jesus has freed us to do more. And we want that. We want that. God, make me in the image of my creator. Make me more like you. That's the Christian prayer. Friend, is that, is that what you're interested in this morning? If so, then tell him so. Let the Lord Jesus know, Lord Jesus, this is what I want. I want to receive everything you have for me. I want to be made new in the image, uh, be transformed by the renewing of, of, of my mind. I want to be made new in the image of my creator. And I know that happens by your power through the gospel that I freely receive. So, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to receive it. Help me to hear it. Help me to walk as the new creation that I truly am. Amen. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you for the gospel that not only justifies but sanctifies. I thank you, Lord, that as we receive the truth of God, Lord, our mind is being renewed and we are, we are able to walk in this new way. Oh, Lord, forgive us for the ways that we live like the Gentile world, the lost world, and cannot witness to them because we are joining with them in sin. And Father, I, I pray that you would, Lord, just take this truth and for, for anyone here this morning who realizes that for all of their life they've been doing the Christian life without Jesus, I pray, Father, that this would be maybe this day, the day where they, they get on their knees and they, and they talk to Jesus and that today, Lord, they would find that something new has taken place. And there'd be hope and peace. And for the Lord, those who are discouraged by the, the, the slowness of the growth in the Christian life, Lord, I pray that we'd remember this is a process. And, and as we continue to look to Jesus and, and receive his truth and his grace and, and be trained by his word, Lord, that growth will continue. And at the end of our life, we'll be able to look back and, be, and just marvel at what you've done. And Lord, I thank you that one day we will be everything we want to be in Jesus. Perfectly cleansed from all sin, Lord, um, done with all of it, pure in our heart and our mind. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have confidence in that because you've promised it to us. And so, Lord Jesus, may we receive the gospel now as we, as we battle with sin, as we strive for holiness. Give us the grace today to believe it, to receive it, to rejoice in it, to stand in it, to walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to respond to the word this morning uh, by singing a, a newer song uh, that I just love for its honesty, a flee from sin, run to Jesus. That's the call. Let's stand together and sing. Mm -hmm.